Welcome to the Just for Kicks podcast, where we normally do our obligatory opening banter, and then we talk about the greatest thing that we saw that Lionel Messi did, the greatest thing we saw that somebody not named Lionel Messi did. But um, we're just going to jump straight into six gear on Messi Watch, even though we had a really, really intriguing weekend of fixtures in the Premier League and beyond. Um, so since we talked to you last... Lionel Messi has bagged his first trophy in an MLS kit, winning impressively against the cream of the crop in the Mexican League. And he has won the League's Cup trophy. Now, at the time of this recording, we are minutes removed from Inter-Miami defeating FC Cincinnati, who, let the record show, is in first place and currently one of the favorites to win the entire MLS Cup. Um, maybe a preview of our Eastern Conference final. Wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. Um, did you expect any of this to happen this quickly? Did anyone, like, can anyone claim? Uh, he's about to have two trophies in, like, six days, and he still hasn't played his first official league match in Major League Soccer. Oh, and he had two assists in the game. Yeah, I, I didn't really know what exactly to expect, mostly because, and this is no fault of Messi's, of course, Inter-Miami was really, really putrid before he got there. And I was just interested to see how much they could improve with him. But it became very apparent after a few games that they were capable of beating almost anybody. And then over the last few games, the last two matches against Philadelphia and Nashville in the League's Cup, and then this last match against Cincinnati, um, they've played some of the best defenses in the MLS in their conference nonetheless, and they've done all of that away. Um, they've had to overcome some adversity to do that. So I think that that bodes well just kind of for the narrative going into the Eastern Conference playoffs or the stretch run of the MLS season. But yeah, I mean, they have Messi, and he's been pretty much the magician of it all. So um, it, it, it's hard to discount anything he can do at this point. It's funny you say he's the magician because we were treated to this amazing moment where the match today was not on Apple. It was on Paramount, and we got to hear those amazing announcers. What's, the, what's that guy's name? Ray Hudson. I, I was really excited for Ray Hudson because obviously – he was kind of the sound of Messi at Barcelona for Americans. He was the sound of Messi. And I, just, Leo. I was really happy to hear him get to call a Messi game again. Like, I think he cares more than anybody. <laughs> Dude, the superlatives that he has thrown upon that man over the years, I think in the moment, like even with Messi's brilliance, we thought they're hyperbolic. Nobody's going to be looking back at any of those clips and being like, "Yeah, he was a little over the top." It's <laughs> he called every one of those Messi games, like uh, you know Gus Johnson calling the last two minutes of March Madness. And what we're going to learn is he was the only one who got it in real time. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> he knew. He knew. There was a great video I saw recently of him calling a messy goal, and he was just like, you can forget about your stats. You can forget about your whatever. Like, I come here to see this, and only Messi can provide that. And he, yeah, he he sees it or appreciates it on the other plane. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad he was the one that got to narrate a lot of the messy years, magisterial years, as he would call them, and obviously the U.S. Open Cup. I just felt happy for him because you know that he was as excited as anybody for today. So I got two questions. 
One is the obligatory. I don't really follow the sport that closely, but it sounds like you're trying to make a argument out of sophistication rather than necessity, but I'm going to go along with it because I can't really argue with you. Um, which is to say that Messi has relied a great deal, as anyone would, um, on the presence of Sergio Busquets and later on Jordi Alba to make it this far. I mean, what what would possession look like for Inter-Miami? Um, what would build-up play look like for Inter-Miami? I mean, what would goalkeeper play, considering that Busquets is operating in that role, you know, very similar to what Pep had him do, where he was dropping in between, you know, the central defenders, giving the goalkeeper so many options, and then also just having the vision to, you know, very, very casually move the ball forward. Um, how instrumental has Busquets been in this entire run by Inter Miami? The first game that he and Messi came on the field, it was immediately apparent that the pace of Inter Miami was now under control. They they just gave them a calmness in possession that Inter Miami wasn't even like it couldn't even be imagined by the people that were on the field without them. And then now they have this metronome in midfield, and that creates a skeleton for Messi to or a canvas for Messi to do his magic. I mean, it, it it's definitely. I mean, Busquets deserves a lot of credit for Inter Miami's resurgence as well, or not even resurgence. Just <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if they're returning. Anything. They weren't doing things, then they started doing amazing things. I mean, it's it's they're rewriting the fabric of what the franchise is. Yeah, and they you know they still have a lot of players around them that are not up to quality, and they can be got at. It's just in the last few games they've had the best player on the field and. That's probably enough in the MLS. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Busquets and Alba as well, just kind of the ESP of, they all occupy different places on the field. So you kind of have a controller in each different area in addition to the fact that, you know, they're not going to get flustered in these situations. They have all the confidence in the world and just get the ball to Messi 10, 15 times in a dangerous area and something good's going to happen. And I know Busquets and Messi both grew up playing together at La Masia. Um, but did Alba, did he come over later? He was like 14, 15, something like that. Yeah, no, I think he was in the academy as well. He went out for a bit in his early career, but I'm pretty sure he was raised at Barcelona as well. Well, that's insane, and it makes perfect sense. Um, before we give you an exhaustive detail of the tournament that you didn't ask for an exhaustive detailed history of the U.S. Open Cup. Um, I do want to give credit to FC Cincinnati because it felt like another moment was present where Messi's heroics were going to write the storybook ending. And Cincinnati was just kind of like, nah, not tonight. That late goal, man, they, uh, the weight of history, the, the burden of uh, feeling like you're in somebody else's movie um, has to really, really be tough to uh, shake, but Cincinnati, they clawed back. They, uh, they look ferocious tonight. Cincinnati deserves a lot of credit. So does Nashville from the weekend. Um, the crowds have been really into it against Messi. Um, I noticed when he walked out against Nashville, he got a big round of booze and he kind of, his facial expression kind of changed and went from like, dude, he was pissed tonight. Me Messi on vacation to Messi trying to prove a point, And that's not something you ever want to deal with his opposition, but yeah. I, Dude, he was shooting daggers at Cincy. Yeah, and I think Nashville and Cincinnati, it was nice to see 
they're two of the better defenses in the league. He's had to prove it on the road against them. And again, I just think it's good for the intrigue or interest of the league going into the playoffs, knowing that this isn't a fait accompli for Messi to just run rough shot over everyone. In fact, mm-hmm. they definitely got outplayed by Nashville, arguably against Cincinnati as well at times. And I think it just creates a really nice balance. Like, you know, inner Miami is not the most complete team, no, but they have the best player and then some, and these other teams are probably lacking in that star power. And it, and it creates a really interesting balance going into the playoffs. I'm at, in a neutral perspective, I'm very glad that Nashville gave them such a good test as Titsy as well, I guess, just to, I don't know, make the competition more compelling going forward, even though I am also extremely excited that Messi was able to get his first piece of silverware and remains undefeated on U.S. soil or in an MLS kit. Yeah. And, and let's be let's be fair here without we're characterizing Inter-Miami being outplayed. Um, when you're lacking to that degree or inferior to that degree – you know, at five, six crucial positions, um, it becomes a war of attrition where you're, you know, trying to make sure that, you know, your talented players, Lionel Messi, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba, um, basically have enough in the tank to do the magic and keep pace with whatever the other team's doing. But, um, you know, I, I think they were, they were probably um, outplayed by, I mean, the majority of the teams that they faced that were an absolute um what do we say? What are we allowed to say? What are our sponsors allowed to say? Dog poo? We'll go with dog poo. Um, but again, tonight, another example of Messi going, okay, you're going to give me another minute to take this into extra time? I'll do it. Um, <laughs> what's it going to be like when he misses a penalty? What's it going to be like when the free kick doesn't go in? What's it going to be like when Inter Miami loses? Like, how weird is that going to be? It might never happen. <laughs> it might never happen. Let's transition straight into the Premier League, um, if that's all right with you. Or would you rather talk about Syria? I will just say real quickly, Inter-Miami has played the fewest games in the MLS, and they have the most losses. But on the heels of this success, they're now the f- they're in dead last place by themselves in the desert. But they're now fourth favorites. Like, that's how much the landscape has shifted in the last month. It's riveting. And again, if this tournament took place, like, you know, European turn, you know, most other continental tournaments. Um, and these matches were played over two legs. I think their odds would probably be higher, right? Yeah, I, I definitely <laughs> think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the you have to realize that seeding is so baked into those odds that, you know, people think they are, and as evidenced by the two teams, they just beat, albeit in penalties, when they were outplayed. Um, except for when Lionel Messi needed to score so they could win. Um, I think they're as good as anybody right now. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think they can beat every team in MLS. And the handicap here is that they're 14 points back with 12 games left. Yeah. It's, honestly, what we just saw was miraculous in a certain sense, but this would be beyond that, I think. And I'm extremely excited to watch that whole... It, it kind of feels like we get get a fresh start on a new messy story uh coming this weekend yeah like this isn't david versus goliath it's just like goliath is gonna have to like walk across like a trapeze to get to the final where he'll do his obligatory destruction at the end but i mean an injury to one of those three guys um you know things can happen there's some obstacles there so do we want to go hard on um captain america or do we want to go straight into uh the epl 
Uh, we can do whatever you want. Okay. Well, since we're still still on the side of the ocean, we have to give a shout out to Kristen Pulisic, who has never looked more at home than he did opposite Rafa Liao for AC Milan this weekend, um, scoring a wonder goal, arriving in Italy, um, to much adoration even before performing so well. But uh, is this a dream move? Is this the perfect situation for Christian Pulisic? He's going to be in the Champions League. He's playing with the Eunice Musa. We were asking last week if AC Milan is going to be able to get themselves back in the mix to win Serie A. Again, one week. They look good. And a big reason why they look good was Christian Pulisic. Um, he hasn't had trouble performing on the international stage despite inconsistent performances or inconsistent ability to even find the field uh, for Chelsea. But this has got to help his confidence, right? Yeah, I think that's what most people wanted to see. He's obviously very talented. We just wanted to see him get game time. Um, and then, again, perfect start for him at AC Milan. They won 2 nothing against Bologna, and he got a pretty nice goal from his old buddy Giroud and also was influential in the first one. Got the hockey assist, if you want to call it that. Um, I think he fits really well there. He gives them another dynamic to Leal on the right side, um, a little bit more in the pocket kind of player and creates a little bit more balanced attack. And I hope that he keeps getting a run out. Um, I think he very much earned that. And this is just something that everybody from an American perspective has been wanting to see is he, he can very much play at this level. Like AC Milan's not a club too big for him. It's just about him getting consistent game time. And it's pretty exciting from a U.S. perspective. It is. It is. Um, and while we're here in Syria, uh, it was a week that largely played to expectations with Napoli Inter Milan, Juventus, and AC Milan all grabbing points against much traditionally weaker opponents and some promoted sides. Um, did anybody catch your eye in particular? Um, I know Napoli was playing against you know a cellar dweller, but it was just good to see them back in action, man. Yeah, I wouldn't say anybody necessarily changed my mind um, for the better or for the worse. At the as far as the favorites go, I did think you know Napoli took care of business back where we kind of expected them to be. And Juventus kind of made a statement, I guess, of that they're not going to be pushovers this season and, in fact, might kind of be bullies thanks to mm -hmm. what I assume will feel like a little bit of revenge for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a little more excitement over the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich have arrived in style, and Mr. Harry Kane has his first goal in the Bundesliga, um, other than those horrific, horrific uniforms. I liked those. You liked those? I liked them, yeah. The black and purple? Uh, I, I think you may be biased because they, they remind me of like the, I think it was like an Arsenal second or third kit that was really, really cool maybe like when we were in college. You like those? I, I, I like the, yeah, I, I do like the black and purple color scheme, I suppose. I remember that Arsenal kit. It was great. But yeah, no, I, I liked the Bayern kit. I was all right with it. Okay. I particularly liked that it. Whoever chose took the combination of the goalkeeper kit nailed it because it was like a pink and purple, so it, it it contrasted but flowed very well. Which was uh, which was it Crystal Palace I was watching. It was, was very much not the case. Anyway, that's a aesthetic problem. Yeah, um, I can live with it. I've seen worse. Um, it's not it's not Inter Milan's uh, reptilian jersey from a few seasons ago, but 
I guess it would have been weirder if he was wearing the traditional red, but was it strange for you to see Harry Kane? I mean, albeit surrounded by, you know, plenty of former Premier League players like Leroy Sané. Um, but in the back of the net for Bayern Munich, win 4-0, beat Werder Bremen. It's a new era. He opened up the account. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, the one thing that I will say kind of trips me out about Bayern Munich this season is that their home kit is mostly white, not red. So that's going to be interesting to adjust to. But anyway, I thought Harry Kane looked pretty good. I just pray to God they don't play Real Madrid in the Champions League or I'm going to be like way too OCD about it. <laughs> and it'll take time for them to gel, but I was just kind of reminded that Harry Kane is an insanely talented and insanely intelligent player. Um, it was good to see him back with some confidence and he his second goal was just quintessential Harry Kane completely sent the goalkeeper the wrong way and he was creating space for his teammates the whole match um in a way that I don't know very elite at doing I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for his non-striking acumen no not at all but yeah it, it looks like he it looks like he belongs already they look like they have room to grow as well and I'm excited to see someone of his skill level back in the Champions League that's basically my takeaway from that yeah, I mean, and Byron looked great. Um, Tuchel uh, opting for four two three one, um, even though everybody has just been very very curious, given the personnel that he has, why he doesn't do his traditional um, five back system or conversely three back system, however you choose to view it. But the chemistry was definitely there with Sane. Um, I wouldn't say Bambi had the greatest game, but they certainly certainly were in sync when they needed to be. Um, and uh, Alfonso Davies yet again, yet again, um, probably the man of the match there. What did you think of this Byron side as a flashpoint of, you know, probably the lineup we're actually going to see except for keeper um, in big Champions League matches? Um, you know, Kane at the top, Sané and Komen on the side, Bambi through the middle, Goretzka and Kimmich uh, in holding positions, um, you know, and up in Meccano and... Uh, Kim, who looked like he had some uh, tough time adjusting, but it was what it was, and they got the 4-0-1. I think Upamakano and Kim are a plenty-capable Champions League pairing. Um, any defense is going to need time to gel. The main concern is Neuer returning to health, obviously, and Tuchel is very adamant about his desire for a traditional defensive midfielder. If he feels strongly about that, I certainly agree. Um, but as far as attack goes, I feel like Harry Kane will help unlock Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman, maybe in a way that they had to bear a little bit too much of the scoring burden last year. Mm -hmm. And Muziala, I expect him to continue growing as well and develop some chemistry with Kane. Um, that team's certainly capable of beating anyone. Again, with Kane new to the as the new arrival, they have a ton of room for growth. And Tuchel is relatively brand new there so i think that his system has time for growth and we have the champions league draw next week unless something drastic happens and even if something drastic were to happen i don't expect Bayern munich to fall short in the group stage so as long as they can get this all sorted by january i think they'll be fine on that front um, they've had hard draws before and still managed to win their group no absolutely and speaking of giving the man credit um he did have an assist four minutes into this match so the guy the guy knows how to drop into a deeper position hold up the ball create opportunities elsewhere um he found leroy sane and Bayern munich season was off to a flying start just like that he's just such a complete forward i'm really excited to watch him with a 
all due respect to Tottenham and especially their Champions League run, to watch him in a team where he doesn't necessarily have to do everything all the time, where he's surrounded by extremely talented individuals like one through 11. Agree completely. Um, let's jump over to the Premier League. Um, again, don't want to don't want to have too rapid of reactions to anything that we saw, but um, I do love when we have these flashpoints. And you know, and we're always wrong. We're always wrong because at this point last season we were saying Manchester United were the worst team that had ever played. That Eric Ten Hag was a disgrace, um, among a litany of other things. Um, we were talking about how Brighton was just totally, totally screwed because Graham Potter was leaving and they were left high and dry and this amazing project was doomed. But I do think it is safe to say, and again, I don't want to cross anybody out, but let, let's call this the let's call this the 90% game. How many teams at this point in the season, after what you've seen, are you comfortable saying have more than a very, very, very limited chance of winning the league this year. I I tally five. What's limited? Because realistically, I think that well, what's limited. Um, it it could happen, and it wouldn't be the craziest thing that's ever happened. Okay, is, are we? It, it would be less crazy than Leicester. Is that the scale? It it would be Leicester esque. But again, Leicester's first two fixtures. It looked pretty good that campaign because the reality is it's man cities to lose um I, I don't want to overreact to much at all but man city especially with that statement against newcastle they just look like they're going to be able to roll with all the like they look like muhammad ali like they're just gonna rope a dope everybody and barely break a sweat and just kind of trot on to 92 points and probably win the league um i am not going to dismiss anybody based off of two weeks but i would say the obvious elephant in the room is man united and they've had a horrible start but i would not be shocked if they were able to turn it around and you know they've got a 19th or an 18th of the season left to do it um they still got two games against man city like no one's done yet that that's the thing even though it's man city's to lose liverpool again not wholly impressed but they've got they're bringing in Endo, which I think will just really unlock the rest of their more talented players. And Arsenal, obviously. Um, I think Newcastle is probably making a little bit more of a claim for the top, but we need to see them in Europe. So I, I'm not, I'm trying not to shrink or grow my list too much based on two weeks. You, you can ask me this again after six weeks. We should probably also have the massive caveat that the window – has not closed yet. I mean, these rosters could be changing radically. Um, my list, however, uh, and again, you know, nobody's mathematically eliminated or close to it. Nobody is um, really, really uh, doomed per se. Anything can happen. But if a team outside of this list wins the Premier League, I'll be shocked. Obviously, City. Obviously, Arsenal. I love Newcastle. They need more time to gel. Um, I think City, if they stay healthy, and Kevin De Bruyne is injured right now, so I understand the irony of saying that. Um, but if they can get by without another person getting injured, or conversely, 
you know, somebody like Phil Foden taking the step, which it looks like he's doing. Um, they should be fine. It is theirs to lose. Um, but it also include Liverpool. I think that that team is not sorted out. We have not seen anywhere close to what their ceiling is. Um, and I include Brighton in that list too. Just uh, call me crazy, but I think those are your contenders right now. But again, we got 36 more game weeks. Um, tell me on any of those where I'm crazy. Am I crazy to count out United? I, I just, I, I feel like Ten Hag has spent the entire offseason and he's spent all this time with these transfers to try to methodically, and based on everything I saw them do in preseason, do something more expansive, more free-flowing, and not play in the shrewd way that they played so well last season. And it seems that it has been a massive failure and they are identityless. So it, it's almost a system it's a systematic issue. It's not really about the two games. It just seems like his plans have backfired. That's obviously an overreaction. But is that what you're seeing for Manchester United? I'm not considering them contenders based on anything they've shown on the field. I'm considering them contenders based on the fact that we have so much left of the race and they have time to sort it out. What are they, three points back right now? So, Well, this time last year, I mean, we were saying they were the worst team on the planet too. So, Yeah, exactly. Um, not much has changed since then. And they still need to bring in Rasmus Hoyland. Um, Mason Mount is out for a few weeks. I kind of get a sneaky suspicion that will be a blessing in disguise and make him restructure that midfield in a more um, traditional way for them. Um, I don't think they're going to win the league if you want me to be perfectly blunt, but I'm definitely not counting them out based on what I've seen the last two weeks. Like I'm not, there's just not enough evidence to say anything that drastic about anybody. Like even Brighton, I love Brighton. I think if they were to pull it off, it would be Lester level um, surprising and that comes down to a lot to the um, competition they're facing. But, like, they've had two wins against Luton and Wolves. They've looked amazing. They're one of the most entertaining and interesting teams in the league. But, you know, th- this goes both ways. I'm I'm just – I'm cooling my jets until at least after the international break and the transfer window closes. Man, no love for Luton. No love for Wolves. Man. Well, I don't think I'm the only one who thinks that Luton and Wolves are uh, in danger, we'll say. <laughs> I thought you picked them to uh, make the conference league. I don't know. Maybe that was somebody on the athletic. I'm not sure. But I think we're on the same page. Um, Power rankings, one, City, two, empty space out of respect to City. Three's got to be Arsenal. And then uh, then you put probably Newcastle and Brighton, depending on how much value you want to place on beating up on inferior opponents. Yeah, and even Newcastle, like they have two data points, right? One where they destroyed Aston Villa, who everybody thought was going to compete for top four or top six at least. And their other one is a game against Manchester City where it's like they played respectably, but they're nowhere near City. I know it was 1-0, but like, I mean, come on, Man City had control of that situation. This was not last year's match where City was outplayed until they, in about the 65th minute, just like put the clamp down and said, not today, dudes. (laughs) They just don't even break a sweat to do it either. It's uh, They're the best team and it's not that close. No. (laughs) So then moving over to uh, La Liga, we had uh, had Barcelona get their first win. Um, they dispatched Cadiz. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce that. Um, Real Madrid continued their role, uh, winning 3-1. 
But Atletico Madrid, they were held 0-0 to Real Betis. What happened? Is this a Simeone ball um, backfiring or is Betis sneaky frisky? Betis is sneaky frisky. I did not watch this game. Um, It's hard for me to say, but I I don't think that at Betis is a embarrassing result. No. I mean, and they got Fakir who really can control the pace of play. And if uh, Atleti was really, really um, defensive, I can see that result, especially on the road. But they're still tied on points Barcelona. It's really, really early. Um, The table is kind of looking like we would think after two weeks. So um, don't don't start freaking out if you took the Atletico prop. So our major leagues have kicked off. Um, France, we haven't talked about PSG, but now that... Mbappe is holding it out. Um, Messi is gone. Neymar is in Saudi Arabia. How would you characterize this experiment and this move? Is there anybody, if they could go back to 2017, ownership included, that would do this again? I mean, maybe Neymar. I mean, it worked out pretty well for Neymar. He didn't really have to do anything. He just got a stack of cash. Yeah, Neymar was the... Oh, well, I guess he wasn't the OG, but he was the one that kind of changed the game. Um, I believe Ebra was probably mm-hmm. more the PSG OG as, or under the new regime. But um, yeah, it was a horribly failed experiment with those three. Um, I, I'm i embarrassed for them. I <laughs> hated watching them, and they're three of the most exciting players I've ever seen. It's just awful. So I'm glad that they're moving on. Sounds like they're bringing in some of Mbappe's friends, and maybe it'll have a lot more harmony. I don't know. Um, I have a hard time watching PSG at this point. Yeah. Um, and it's a real, real shame because there's still some great, great players there. Um, some great sides there, too. But, I mean, are they still the fifth best league at this point? Like, how quickly are they going to get usurped? According to UEFA coefficients, no, they are not. Um, I think to the neutral eye, they're very much the fifth most competitive or best league in Europe. You might be able to put Portugal up there with them, but um, as far as what really matters to UEFA and getting slots in the Champions League, no. Um, I think they're down to two automatic slots now, so they need to pull it together. So that's been our summary of all the club action over the past week, but we really, really want to talk about the thrilling conclusion to what has been a remarkable tournament, and that was England narrowly losing to Spain, the Women's World Cup final. Um, I do have a soft spot. Give some credit to Spain. England didn't narrowly lose to Spain. Spain won the World Cup. Did France narrowly lose to Argentina? No, Argentina won the World Cup. Messi won the World Cup. But they went to penalties. And Emmy Martinez, I'm just kidding. Um, Spain really, really did look in control. Um, Despite it being 1-0, they were shrewd. They were tough. Um, and they broke down England, and they could have scored more. Um, incredibly, incredibly heartbreaking story. Um, Spain's only goal scorer who scored the match winner in the 1-0 victory, Olga Carmona, um, found out that her father passed immediately after the match. Uh, heart goes out to her and her family. Um, but the theater... Uh, that night was just just remarkable, as has this tournament been throughout every round um, and the group stages. 
I mean, let's go back to the group stages where Brazil and Germany didn't make it through. I mean, what biz- – and Argentina. What bizarre reality are we living in there? The United States losing the first round. Um, and then all these sides, many of which were decimated by injuries to their top two, three players, still just put on a show for the ages. Um what will you remember about this tournament? What will you remember about this final? I do think it's important that there were so many huge names of women's football missing, and the tournament still was, as far as I'm concerned, the most entertaining yet and had the most well-rounded competitors, deepest field, and most star power um, I can remember. And that's probably the big memory for me is just that I felt like in other women's tournaments – There'll be one or two marquee matchups in the group stage, and that really gets going around the quarterfinals. But there were all kinds of upsets, um, upstarts. First tournament with three African teams in the knockout rounds. The women's game is growing around the world on an individual and a team level. And it just goes to show that the field is as deep as ever, and it's improving at light speed. Um, That's definitely what I'll remember about this tournament and look forward to for the next one. Totally agree, and not to be greedy, but we can only hope for a United States appearance. So I don't know. What are, what are we rooting for? We want the semis? I mean, we want to win it, but what's the success in four years right now? Semis? Final? Semis? I think the round of 16 exit really need, deserves some recalibration. Um, I would say a semifinal sitting here as we are now is probably a success. It may come to that point that we all of a sudden have a bunch of talent that just really makes the leap. I don't know, four years is a long time in football, but um, yeah, it's a pretty steep competition and we're kind of in a watershed moment. So um, I, I think a semifinal would be a pleasant marker of progress for this team. So more immediately um, on the horizon, what about the Olympics? Because we did talk about how we kind of got caught in between generations here, the old guard trying to pass it to the younger cream of the crop. In two years, what kind of role is Alex Morgan going to have on this team? What kind of role is Julie Ertz going to have on this team? And how many of these young guns that were remarkable in flashes, but largely inconsistent, um, what are they going to be expected to do for 90 minutes for us to have success in the Olympics? The Olympics is only a year away, so I expect Ertz and Morgan might still have a role. I can't possibly imagine them having a role in four years. Um, it's time to kind of turn the page and let the young kids learn in that tournament, maybe, and try and write their own chapter in the next World Cup. Um we tried to go for that balance of experience and youth, and we just qu- didn't quite get it right on either, I don't think. Um it's it's time to try something new, and I yeah I I feel comfortable turning it over to the next generation to let them see if they can kind of restore the glory for the U.S. women's team. I think they can. Um, and again, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Sometimes things don't go your way in the group. Sometimes you don't acclimate fast enough. Sometimes you get a bad draw because of it. And in an alternate universe, we are playing Sweden in a semi or even the final, and we put in that performance, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. 
Obviously, in that scenario, we beat like six world beaters on the way there, but you know, it is what it is. Um, fate, luck, and chance, it can be cruel sometimes. Um, when we come back in the Just for Kicks podcast, we're going to give you our hottest betting tips for the weekend. What are we sitting at? If you, if you don't count the uh, Torsten Frings long shot of the week, um, what are we? We like five for six, six for seven? Yeah, we started off five for six this season. Started off five for six. We would be six for seven, but Mikhail cut the other, uh, cut our full pick. So it is what it is. <laughs> Welcome back to the Just for Kicks podcast, where we have been red hot so far. We are five for six and have decided to postpone betting against Manchester City indefinitely. This week's picks, we got Newcastle, who we're just shocked. They're plus 115 at home at St. James Park against Liverpool. Liverpool has a lot to sort out, and they are just historically bad on the road, man. Um... I think this is easy money. That's Newcastle plus 115. We also call us crazy. I know there's a lot of hype around Aston Villa this season, but you know who might be the sleeper of all sleepers? Steve. Say it. Is it Burnley? Is it Burnley? Because I, I, I heard that they played Manchester United behind closed doors in an emergency friendly today, and they beat them 3 nothing. Um and they looked real frisky opening weekend against City. Aston Villa hasn't really shown me anything this campaign, but I don't know. I guess we're the crazy ones. We'll find out. We like Burnley at home plus 230. And rounding it out, this is going to shock you, but we like Brighton. This is going to shock you even more. We like Brighton against West Ham. And you can grab that at minus 195 and take it to the bank. So you're bets this week newcastle plus 115 at home against liverpool burnley plus 230 to bury or at least put a serious dent in aston villa's european aspirations they're plus 230 at home and lastly brighton against west ham it's minus 195 but it's automatic take it to the bank so before we wrap up the show and tell you what we're going to be watching this weekend and Steve blows our minds with more stats, we're going to keep this little friendly contest going where we both pick a goal scorer. And if he scores, we get a point. You can only pick the same guy once. If he doesn't, no dice. Um, Steve, who'd you pick last week? Took you and Wissa against... Oh. Tottenham and got a little lucky on a deflection, I think, but uh, put me on the board. So, 1 0, you sly son of a bitch. Um, I think Marcus Rashford against Wolves. I thought that, that was like, you know, getting my easy money up front. Didn't turn out that way. Steve won, Joey zero. Who do you got this week? Who are you liking? Going for going to North London, taking Eddie and Ketia. If you want to play along, he's plus 135 as an anytime scorer. I'm not sure how many more starts he's going to get this season once Jesus comes back. And I have a sneaking feeling there will be plenty of chances to finish against Fulham this weekend. I'm going to go with Eddie Nkedia. I raise you Erling Holland, who will be playing Sheffield United. And I'm going to go ahead 
and take that money because I cannot afford to fall behind to zero. Unwise? Erratic? Bold? Surprised? I think I'm right in saying that none of his hat tricks have been on the road so far, but Sheffield United is a pretty good opportunity to fix that. I just can't fall behind 2-0, man. You're going to go off to the races, and this won't be fun for anybody except for you. Steve, before we go, uh, what are you going to be watching this weekend? I already mentioned a lot of the really good EPL matches. Um, I think I'm going to head back to the Bundesliga and check out Mönchengladbach versus Leverkusen. That'll be 12.30 on Saturday. Um, one thing I like about watching the Bundesliga so far this season is, have you seen the Bundesliga ball? Oh, yeah. It's classic white with black pentagonal patches, and aesthetically speaking, it's a 10 out of 10. It's just, it's, it, it's perfect. <laughs> we were due. Like, we were, why, didn't, why didn't this happen sooner? I don't know. Um, I'm going to be checking out Newcastle-Liverpool because for the same reason that this podcast continues to just question endlessly what Liverpool is, probably to even the exhaustion of Liverpool fans, I want to know what they're going to be doing after the latest signing. I want to know if they can sort out the midfield. And more importantly, I want to see if Newcastle, against a solid opponent, can get three points and can prove they belong among Europe's elite. So that's what I'm going to be watching. In addition to wherever Lionel Messi is, wherever he goes. His first actual MLS match is this weekend. His first actual MLS match. You can catch that on the Apple Plus package. He's going to be playing against, wait for it, New York Red Bulls. I think he's headed to New Jersey. The New York Red Bulls. Swim with the fishes. What are the odds that we have this kind of bizarre alternate universe where Messi in actual MLS league games doesn't have superpowers? It's only cup competitions. If I were to phrase it as more or less likely than what he's been doing in the league's cup, I would say less likely <laughs> that he is going to suffer more. He's better than everybody he's playing against. It's going to be okay. Now, if they hadn't spotted the league 12 points again, it might be different. But match to match, he'll be fine. Dude, who's like ML uh, near Miami MLS schedule? I mean, come on. Let's just who who do they need to be worried about? They get to play a lot of the teams that are ahead of them in the standings or that are in the part of the standings that they have reasonable access to. Everyone's ahead of them in the standings. You know what I mean? Um, they have two games in hand over the majority of their rivals at the bottom of the league, and they get to play a lot of the teams that they'll be rivaling for for those last playoff positions. So it's it's still very much in their control, but there is almost no room for error. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just looking at their schedule. They're going to beat the New York Red Bulls, what, 5 nothing. Um, then they're going to beat Nashville probably what seven nothing, and then after they beat LAFC nine nothing, we can just hand them the trophy, right? I wish it was that easy, <laughs> but I will say the one interesting thing about the league's cup um, success is that they qualified for the Concacaf Champions League, now to be called the Concacaf Champions Cup next year. So we will get to see Messi against the more regional rivals and potentially, potentially with a shot at the Club World Cup. Oh, my God. That fast? Yep. I mean, they're going to make it to the semis. And then if they, I don't know how it's stacked up, but if they draw the Brazilian side, they can get to the final. They've also been invited to next year's Copa Libertadores, which would be absolutely amazing. Just from a personal perspective, I would love to see that. 
Can you imagine Inter Miami and Messi going to play? I don't know Newell's old boys. <laughs> <laughs> of all the sides, I was expecting you to say I did not expect Newell's old boys to come out of your mouth. But you know what? That would be pretty, pretty cool. Uh, before we go, <laughs> Newell's old boys. Uh, do you have any more stats to uh, blow all our minds one last time? Messi's league, we'll go back, you know, theme of the show. Messi's League's Cup victory made him the winningest player in the history of the world. He uh, has the most titles of anyone. Um, Does Ibrahimovic know this? And how long until he comes out of retirement? <laughs> Just to, like, play for, like, a league, like, four team. He's going to he's gonna join Wrexham. Hold on. This is, this is slightly Messi-themed. Another thing that came out this weekend or that I realized is that James Ward-Prowse is back in the Premier League. Thankfully, he was rescued by West Ham from... Southampton. So he has a shot this season to break David Beckham's Premier League uh, free kick record. Wow. He is one away. And during the Barca game, it was pointed out, do you know who the last person to score, a f- speaking of free kicks, do you know who the last person to score a free kick, direct free kick for Barcelona was? The last person to score a direct free kick? Um... Oh, man, that's tough. Um, it's not still Lionel Messi. That's probably why you're asking the question, but that would mean that nobody scored a direct free kick for Barcelona for three seasons. It's Leo Messi. It's Leo Messi. They can get, like, Usman Dembele to just, like, bend one of the close ones. I, <laughs> I was absolutely floored when I heard that. How is a team that is that skilled at using their feet to manipulate the trajectory of a football, not capable of scoring a free kick for that long. You might remember it was a little bit of lean times there, but uh, yeah, I, again, I was completely shocked. They missed the Champions League like one year. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, um, I'll ask you this question and you can answer on the next episode. Better free kick taker all time, Messi or James Ward-Prowse? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us on the Jester Kicks podcast. You can check us out on Twitter. Wait, what's it called now? X? We're Just for Kicks FC. You can check us out on all of the platforms that Meta is combining into one beautiful landscape of technological internet brilliance at the Just for Kicks podcast. That's Threads. That's Facebook. That's Instagram. Um, we're also up on TikTok. Check us out, Just for Kicks podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys are enjoying the messy magic. Hope you've enjoyed the wonderful start of the club campaign. And most importantly, I hope you stayed glued in to probably the most exciting tournament I've seen in a long time, this Women's World Cup. Congratulations to Spain. They truly, truly deserve it. Thanks again for listening to Just for Kicks podcast. He's Steve. I'm Joey. You can get us wherever you can get your podcasts unless you have one of those like weird sites on the dark web where you only post like your podcast and like your friend's podcast and something like that. I don't think you can find us there. Maybe you can email me. We'll hook you up. Thanks for listening. <laughs>